Thank you for sharing your psalms with us today. It's amazing how God uses His Word to, to minister and to encourage and to nurture us through His psalms. And as we share those psalms, we do so to strengthen the body, to encourage the body. So for those that were able to share today, thank you. Thank you. And as we know your story and as we see how these particular psalms have ministered and brought strength and encouragement to your life, that brings strength and encouragement to us. So, Chad, thank you for leading in this, us in that time of worship. Powerful and something I hope we'll continue to do at different seasons. Are you familiar with the story of John Newton? John Newton was an evangelical Anglican priest who served almost two decades in the parish of Olney, England. But before becoming a priest, Newton had an amazing story in which he was actually a slave before he was drafted into the Royal Navy. And following his service in the Royal Navy, Newton found himself in the lucrative slave shipping business, eventually becoming the captain of a slave ship. And at some point along the way, he began to, to read and to study and learn from the Scriptures. He became convicted of the horror and of the evil of the slave trade that he was a part of. And his struggle led him to Jesus Christ, where he repented of his sin, he renounced his profession, and he became a prominent supporter of abolition. Influencing the work of William Wilberforce, for the abolition of slavery in England. It is said that in his service to the church in Olney, that Newton would write a new hymn each week for the Sunday lesson. One of those hymns was written on New Year's Day in 1773. You may be familiar with it. It's in our hymnal. Its title is Faith's Review and Expectation. Y'all remember singing that one, right? Faith's review and expectation. The first verse goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. This morning, we continue to discover and to learn what it means to love one another as Christ loved us. If you would, take your scriptures with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, if it's not on an app on your phone, there's, there's pew Bibles before you in, in the pews. And we'll turn to Colossians, that's with a C, Colossians chapter 3. And as we did last week, we'll read this entire passage, verses 12 through 17. So... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. And again, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. So to those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, and let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. In verse 14, we are, are instructed, we are exhorted by Paul to put on love. Do you ever think about that? We're to, to put on love. I can't wait for the fall to get here. I'm not necessarily real excited about the, the ice that may be in our future. But I love the fall. And one of the, the things we do in the fall is we put on our jackets and we put on our coats because we are not equipped, we are not naturally clothed to, to stand those harsh elements of the winter. And so we must take a, a proactive stance and we must decide in the morning, we must decide when we go outdoors to put on a jacket so that we can stay warm in the, in the elements. And here Paul is exhorting us that we too must put on something. In fact, we must put on love. Notice in the verses above, I think Paul is, is describing love in more detail. When he says that we're to put on, in verse 12, a heart of compassion. We're to put on kindness. We're to put on humility and gentleness and patience. We're to put on bearing with one another. And we're to put on forgiving one another. And I think in verse 15, excuse me, 14, Paul is summarizing and he's saying, well, well instead of saying all these things, just put on love. Put on love. It is the, the bond which unifies us as the people of God. Jesus' new commandment was that we would love one another as He loved us. We are to put on agape. Agape love, a self-giving, sacrificial, lay down your life for one another kind of love. This is the love that distinguishes the people that call themselves Christ followers. This is the love, again, that brings us together in unity. This is a love that we do not possess on our own, but rather is a love that originates from God and flows to us and through us as we put God's love on. And Paul exhorts and encourages us here to put on that love so that the world will know that we are the followers of Christ. And when we put on love, when we put on the love of Christ, something else becomes possible. Look in verse 15. Then let the peace of Christ, we've put the love of Christ on, we've put it on, we've experienced this bond of unity, and now the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. That word rule is an interesting word. It, it can even easily be translated umpire, referee. Let the peace of Christ rule, umpire, referee in your hearts. He's talking about us individually, but also as a community of faith. When we put on the love of Christ, the peace of Christ should then flow within us to referee the, the tensions and conflicts, the decisions of our hearts, of our minds. 
both individually and as a community of faith, when we put on love, the peace of Christ characterizes our relationships with one another. If you would, turn with me back to, to John chapter 13. Remember we started with John 13. That's the, the new commandment that I give you, that you would love one another. Let me find it as well. John 13, verse 34 and 35. But in this same dialogue, in this same teaching, we look over to, to John 14, look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to re your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I cannot help but believe that in this evening, in this night, when Jesus was to be betrayed, that the words of love and peace were on His forefront of His heart and of His mind. Those were the words that He wanted His disciples to hear and to receive. And He said, oh, disciples, followers in chapter 13, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Love one another. This is the new commandment. And a few breaths later, He said, and you know what? I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send My Spirit. The Spirit of God to come. And the Spirit of God is going to come and, and, and bring peace in your midst amongst each other. The peace of Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. And notice what that work is. That work is to come as a helper. A helper to teach us. A helper to cause us to remember what we have learned to remember. Jesus is saying, all the words, all the teachings that I've offered to you, my Spirit will come and my Spirit will help you to remember what I've taught you. Will help you to draw it out in those critical moments so that you might remember. So that you would have peace as you have to make decisions as you have to move forward. But I believe in order for the peace of Christ to reside in us as we're back in Colossians 3, that the, as the peace of Christ, in order for the, the peace of Christ to reside in us, the Word of Christ must be within us. In Psalm 119.11, the Scripture says, Thy Word I have hidden in my heart that I would not sin against You. As we hide God's Word in our heart, it allows the Spirit of God then to help us to remember it, it pulls that resource from our hearts and from our minds and allows us to, to apply God's Word in that critical moment when we need it. So Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Isn't that rich? Let the Word of Christ let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. This word dwell can mean to abide. It can mean to, to make a home. Let the Word of Christ make its home within you. Let the Word of Christ dwell, abide. Let the Word of Christ be at home with you. Invite the Word of Christ into your living room into your study, into your kitchen, into your hobby room. 
Let the Word of Christ dwell with you. Let the Word of Christ, the Scripture says more completely, richly, richly dwell within you. Richly, without limits, in every area and aspect of your life. Allow the Word of Christ to richly dwell within you. To to meditate. To hide His Word. To allow His Word to stir within you continually and constantly. You see, the Word of Christ must be the center of our life together and as individuals. For you see, the peace of Christ results as the Word of Christ dwells and makes its home within us. As we abide with Christ in His Word, His teachings abide in us. Our wisdom, our knowledge, and our understanding grow and mature And the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, the Holy Spirit assimilates, interprets, and draws from the Word of Christ that is in our hearts and our minds. And the Spirit of God shapes and leads us to those places of peace as we make decisions and take actions in our life. Oh, I hope you've experienced and, and, and practiced this truth. Ephesians 4 is one of the most practical chapters in all of, of Scripture. Verse 26 and 27 say this, Be angry, but do not sin. You know, anger is, is a natural emotion that, that we're given. There are times when we should be angry about circumstances around us. But how many of us would confess that, that I have a problem with anger? that I fly off the handle too often and that my anger leads to hurt and destruction and even conflict with others. And yet here is the Word of Christ that should be richly dwelling within us. That says, be angry, but do not sin. Do not give the enemy, do not give Satan an opportunity. Do not let Anger go down on you as you would look to the next day. Resolve that anger as soon as possible. And I would suggest, and I know it's true, that if you'll, if you'll meditate, if you'll dwell, if you'll allow this Scripture to, to become part of your life, your heart, and your mind, I guarantee you that the Holy Spirit will recall and bring forth that Scripture as you would struggle with anger and have moments in which you would respond angrily. And I would suspect that maybe initially that that warning and that remembrance may come after the act of anger. But if you'll meditate, if you'll dwell richly, then you know what the Spirit of God will do and what your mind and your heart will do as they're transformed is that you'll begin to allow the Spirit to to draw this passage in this verse even before before that act of anger would come out. And this Scripture says, be angry. Okay, Lord, I'm I'm angry and I have a right to be angry, but I'm going to choose not to respond sinfully in my anger. And oh, that we would understand the Scripture is rich with ways that we might live and love others. And as we put it in our heart, as we put it in our mind and allow it to richly dwell through all areas of our life, that the Spirit of God will pull, will draw that truth and that Scripture to minister to us in the time of need. So Paul says, 
Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then we hit these one another passages that we've been focusing on. And it goes on to continue that I would say to love one another then means that we are to teach and to admonish one another. Let's spend a few moments and what does that look like? What does it mean that if we want to love one another, if we're committed to loving each other, that part of our love for one another includes teaching and admonishing each other? This word teach simply means to impart truth. It's instruction. It may even be instruction in doctrine. It's teaching, instilling, offering truth and wisdom to those that we would want to instill that in. It's a part of every one of our lives as we would grow and mature in our faith. But here's the the implication I want us to understand. Teaching implies a relationship. Teaching implies a relationship between a teacher and a student or students. Teaching implies a relationship between a mentor and an apprentice. As we love one another, we enter into teaching relationships where we can teach God's Word. Teaching implies authority. Teaching is not just sharing the thoughts and ideas and whims that we might have on a a particular day or season of life, but rather teaching is instruction in the the wisdom and the truth of Scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul reminds Timothy that the instruction in Scripture is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we might be equipped, that we might be ready to accomplish all those good works that God has for us If we love one another, we will teach one another. If you love your kids, right? If you love your children and your grandchildren, then you understand that part of life is teaching them. We continue on with this idea of of admonishing. Admonishing sounds like a a little harsher experience of teaching. And, And maybe so in one sense. The word to admonish means to put into one's mind. But the word admonish also carries with it the idea of teaching with a sense of urgency or warning. To admonish is different. Now now hear this. To admonish is different than to correct or criticize or to judge or to condemn someone. To admonish is a proactive effort to teach and instruct others in the Word of Christ in matters of faith, life, and ethics before... They miss the mark or before they fall short. Thus, admonition is a ministry that calls for much warmth, much compassion, and much humility. When Paul admonishes the churches, when he admonishes new Christians, it's done out of his deep love and his concern for them. Listen to how the Scriptures describe Paul's approach to admonition. In the book of Acts, the Scripture says, Paul admonished with tears. Paul writes, I do not write these things to shame you, but rather to admonish you in the Lord. He writes to the Romans, to the church at Rome, because you, church, are filled with all goodness and with all knowledge, admonish one another. We admonish out of our knowledge. We admonish out of our our goodness towards one another, out of our love for one another. And then Paul says, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom so that you may be complete 
in Christ. You see, the purpose of admonishment is to make us complete in Christ, to be obedient to His Word so that we don't have to suffer the hurt and brokenness of sin. Admonition is proactive teaching that spares us, that's intended to spare us from much of the pain of life. There are consequences when we do not obey, when we do not follow the instruction of Christ, and those consequences can come whether we act ignorantly or whether we act purposely or disobedient against that teaching. Admonition. Admonition recognizes the great pain and brokenness of what it means to not follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. Let me offer a few examples of admonishing to a child. We would admonish a child, don't put your hand on the stove. Well, it's not because we're mean or we don't love that child or, 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 or we want pain and discomfort for that child. It's to the contrary. Because we love that child, we would say to that child, do not touch the stove while it's on. To our married couples, I admonish you to remain faithful to your spouse with your eyes, with your mind, with your activity on social media. Oh, that we would admonish one another in faithfulness and fidelity to the person that we covenant with to love and to nurture and care for as long as we both shall live. To our students and youth, I admonish you to embrace the biblical teachings of marriage and of purity before marriage. Biblical teachings and understanding of marriage and, and sexuality are under attack from our culture and our world. And I admonish you to understand and to know and embrace the biblical teachings and live them out. And to those without Christ, I admonish you to receive God's gift of grace and forgiveness that leads to eternal life. You see, love, love is what compels us. Love is what drives us to teach and to admonish those in our life. Paul says that as we would seek to love one another, put on love, and one of the ways we put on love is by teaching and admonishing one another as the Word of Christ has richly and continues to richly dwell and live within us. And there are many teaching methodologies and ways, but it's fascinating here. It's significant here. I think today we've seen the impact of what Paul is about to say. But he recommends, he, he exhorts us to teach, to admonish using psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. These create a, a sense and attitude of thanksgiving in our hearts as well. Paul recommends the role and the power of music and of text in our lives. Educators know that, that music is a vital tool in educating students. Likewise, just as we've done today, we sing each Sunday in worship, not solely just to lift our voices and hearts to the Lord in praise and thanksgiving, because He alone is worthy of our worship and praise of our song, but we also sing so that we might 
learn, so that we might be taught, so that we might admonish one another, so that we might allow our minds to be renewed through music and text as we sing. Listen and reflect on the words of the songs that we sing. Carry the tune and the words with you. Meditate on them. Allow the Spirit of God to teach you, to draw you near to Him, to allow the Spirit of God to draw that from your memory in time of need with the song in your heart, on your lips, in your mind. Paul recommends that we use psalms. It was so powerful today. When we heard the different psalms, I think of the, the short little chorus that, that many of us will remember based on Psalm 100 and Psalm 118. He has made me glad, says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. What a beautiful psalm. What an incredible way to enter into the church on a Sunday morning. What an incredible way to, to open our eyes on any given morning. This is the day you have made God. And to allow those words and those songs to be fresh on our lips. If you would, turn back in Colossians 1. Let me show you the importance of hymns to, to Paul. In his letter to the Colossians, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We believe that verse 15 to verse 20 is one of the early hymns of the early church. It's, it's a hymn that is to teach and to instruct the church on who Jesus is. Let's listen to the text. We have no idea what the, the music may have been, what, what, the, uh, what the rhythm may have been, but listen to the words of this hymn and its instruction. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from, from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful hymn that was used to teach the early church churches a little Christology, who Jesus was. In our contemporary uh, choruses and, and hymns and verses that we sing, I'm reminded of one that we sing often called This I Believe. And we sing this as an act of worship, but we sing this as a way to teach ourselves and to teach our children who sing with us. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. It's the same thing we just read from Colossians 1. A hymn that teaches about the triune God. 
And we sing that certainly as an act of worship to God, but we sing it also as a way to teach ourselves and to admonish ourselves in our faith and knowledge of who God is. I think of a hymn of admonition. Some of you may be familiar with the old hymn, Let Others See Jesus in You. Listen to this beautiful hymn, but it's a hymn of admonition instructing us Offering the warning, if we don't do this, there's dire consequences to the world around us. While passing through this world of sin, and others your life shall view. Be clean and pure, without and within. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful. Be true. Let others see Jesus in you. A beautiful hymn that admonishes us the importance of, of, of our Christian witness in this world and that if we're unfaithful in the way that we live, it will have an impact because others are watching and listening. We have a chance to, to live out our faith. We must admonish one another to be faithful in doing that. You see, the way that you live, the way that you live your life makes a difference in the lives of others. John Newton was redeemed from the evils of the slave trade. And he would live to see the abolition of the slave trade in England in 1807, just before his death. On his tombstone are written these words. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. And because of the beautiful hymn that we know as Amazing Grace, John Newton's life and his story of salvation continue to teach, continue to encourage, and continue to draw others to faith in Christ. Indeed, church, let us love one another as Christ loved us by teaching and admonishing each other through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And let these songs of our hearts and minds stir within us as we put on love. And may the Spirit of God, let the peace of God rule in our hearts as the Spirit of God draws those teachings and admonitions to the forefront of our mind and heart in those critical moments. Let us let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us as we sing them as we sing them by ourselves or as we sing them in the company of a congregation. To love one another means that we teach and we admonish one another and that we discover the, the power of hymns, of psalms, and spiritual songs in doing so. Let's pray. Father, you are a good and gracious and 
holy God. And we thank You for this teaching from the book of Colossians and, and how Paul reminded us that as we love each other, that we need to put that on. It's, it's not natural for us to do. And so this morning I would ask, is there, there anyone here that needs to receive Christ Jesus to, to put on His love for the first time, to allow the peace of Christ to dwell within you and receive Christ as Lord? Oh, that you would respond and, and begin that journey of salvation even today as Christ has come after you. And know that as a church, we would realize that to love one another means that out of compassion and love and humility that we teach and admonish each other as the Word of Christ dwells richly within each of us. This morning, as the Spirit of God stirs, you be faithful. If, if that means coming forward so we can pray together or to pray here at the altar, you be obedient and faithful to that. Let's stand and sing in these moments.